we're called to love each other. And we're going, to think of, we're going to be thinking a lot about that. And I hope that you are all suitably prepared for that significant date in the diary that is looming this week. Some of you will have been planning it for weeks, I'm sure, even months, and have already done, lo- already done lots of preparation and having, do- and having everything for the day planned and organised. For those blank faces amongst you, I'm not talking about the launch of the small group series on Tuesday, although that is a significant event. I'm talking about Valentine's Day on Thursday. I hope you're ready for it. And this morning we are going to be thinking about love, but not the slushy, mushy kind, although there is some of that about here, isn't there? I don't know if Diana and Richard are here this morning, but (laughs) they're counting down to their wedding day. And we celebrate that, don't we? But not that sort of love. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about the sort of love we know from the Bible that we're meant to have for each other in the church family. We need each other if we're going to live the kind of life that God wants for us, that he longs for us, rich in relationship and in support of each other. After all, we read in the Bible in these verses, don't we, that our number one goal is to love God and our second goal is to love other people. They're not separate. Our love for each other is evidence of our love of God. Some of you, I guess, will be thinking, I like my independence, thank you very much. You're proud of it. And indeed, it's something we often value, isn't it? And of course, an appropriate level of independence is a good thing. But God did not make us to function at our best entirely independently. That's why he gave us complementary skills and abilities. And Jesus lived in community. Relationships were really important to him. For example, in Luke 10, we find him just spending time with Martha and Mary. And even saying to Mary, who had chosen to sit quietly at his feet, that she had chosen the right thing to do. He spent time with people. And in John 11, we see him weeping, weeping, at the death of his friend Lazarus. And and some of that mourning was because he saw the, the depth of sadness in his sisters, in his friends. He lived in community. Relationships were important to him. That's how we're made. Jesus, of course, relied on a small group of followers, didn't he? His 12 disciples. And even amongst them, he had a certain few who were closer to him than others. If you think that the need for each other doesn't extend to you, listen on this morning, or you might miss out not only on what God wants to bless you with and then bless your life, but those around us will miss out too because God has, has made you, put you here to bless us too. I'm going to talk about, just give you five reasons why we need each other. I need others to walk with me. John says we ought to love one another, and what that means really for, for us is we need to walk, I need people to walk with me. Those of us who are committed to following Jesus are on a spiritual journey, and God did not mean us to walk it alone. Now, I'm not talking about whether you're married or single. There are people in this church who are single, who are very much part of this community, and play a full part in it. And there are those who are married 
I'm sad to say, who are desperately lonely. Marriage is not necessarily the antidote to loneliness. God hates loneliness. And that's in, in, in Genesis 2.18 we read, don't we, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And if you think about it, God has put us into two main groups in our lives. There's the biological family, you know, the ones that you grow up with, or the, you might be in an adopted family. But we find, don't we, that they don't last indefinitely. Sadly, they die, they move away, they're not always close to us. So we need a spiritual family, and that is the church, the church family, and that will last forever. God's safety net is the church family. Hebrews 10 says, let us not give, in, give up meeting together as some of them are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage each other. We need to encourage each other and meet together on our walk together. We all know, don't we, that we can achieve much more with others than we can alone. There's that Zambian proverb which says, when you run alone, you run fast. But when you run with others, when you run together, you run far. And yet, you know, many people in our communities feel really alone today. It's, but the communities don't form in the same way as they did around places where we live, do they? And it's easy to live in a busy place with only relationships around us where we just say hi, superficially. And I found a couple of quotes in the media that underline this rather sadly. Someone said, I never thought I'd be over 40 and have no one to go to dinner with. Or no one who loves me, or whom I can trust, but there it is. It's sad, but it's true. And another one. Not everyone, but a lot of people know what it's like to be really alone. But not everyone has the courage to say it. Is that you? Everyone has a deep longing for belonging. I was listening to a Radio 4 programme on Friday about people who were seeking their adoptive, their, their birth parents, they'd been adopted. It wasn't a comment on whether the adoption had been a good thing or not, it was a comment on them wanting to really find where they belonged originally. And this guy was talking at length about the lengths he'd been to about to find his birth mother, and the utter despair when he'd found that she, she would, had, could barely be persuaded to meet him at all. We were designed to live in, in relationship with each other. We long to belong. That's why, of course, solitary confinement is the worst possible uh, punishment. There's been some research done recently at the LSE on this, and um, they have found that with the exception of the death penalty, solitary confinement is the most extreme penal practice legally opposed, uh, imposed on prisoners today. And the research shows that a large proportion of prisoners who are held in solitary confinement suffer from mental illness and often go on to become violent. We were not made to be alone. Secondly, secondly I need people to work with me. God has work for us to do, doesn't he? It's clear in these verses in Ephesians. God has plans for us to do work that we, he's already prepared for us. And we do it better. We work more efficiently together if we tackle those plans together. Have you noticed, have you seen how geese fly in a V formation? It's quite spectacular. 
The reason they do this is because they can fly further in formation. It creates an updraft. They don't get as tired if they fly together. When we fly, when we walk together in this life, we get less tired and we can be more effective if we do it together. And actually, if you think about it, great achievement is rarely made truly alone, even if it seems to be. I was thinking about this and, and how some people seem to, to have make great achievements independently, but when I looked into it, it wasn't really the case at all. But maybe you still feel determined that you are an independent operator. Someone like maybe Ellen MacArthur, the woman who has broken almost every record for sailing solo. Her high-tech trimaran, £1.3 million worth, was built with one objective, to set new solo sailing records. Her target was the solo round-the-world's record set in 2004 by Francis Joyen. 72 days, 22 hours, 54 minutes and 22 seconds. And in 2005, we saw a lot of footage on the television, didn't we, of her sailing single-handed as she battled with the elements alone. Well, she completed the 27,000-mile voyage alone, and she crossed the, crossed the finish line on the 7th of February 2005, smashing the previous record, let me tell you, by more than a day. What a fantastic achievement. She's clearly an independent person, self-reliant from a young age. When she was just 18, she sailed around Britain alone. So she's truly independent. However, behind Ellen, there's a whole team of specialists. Well, firstly, there's her boat. It took 30 people to build that over a, series, uh, over a period of seven months. And then I had a sneaky look at her website about the team that supports her. I counted 13 specialist team members on her website, supporting her from the shore. There's a personal nutritionist, a doctor, weather specialists, technical advisors, engineering and electronic specialists, not to mention the radio and navigation help. It was a team effort. And just to underline my point rather neatly, her website is called Team Ellen. And yet we know her as a solo sailor, and she certainly is independent. But we need each other. We need to work together. We can, we can achieve so much more as part of a team. There she is. There she is. In, on, her own, on a boat alone. The next reason we need each other, we need to love each other, we need to be with each other, is I need people to watch out for me. And that's what it says in, in, uh, in these verses, isn't it? Look, look at, don't look after only your own interests, but the interests of others. Have you noticed? It's people who care about us that tell us our fly's undone. Or we've got lipstick on our teeth. That's, you know, I always want people to tell me that if ever you notice. Or a label sticking out. Or we've got cornflakes on our teeth. It's people that care about us that tell us, isn't it? Well, we need a spiritual equivalent to keep us on our toes. People who know about us and are confident enough in their relationship with us to be able to, to challenge us where we are. We're in a spiritual battle. And I wonder how Satan trips you up. Is it old habits you can't break? Unhelpful thought patterns? 
I wonder what your weaknesses are, the things you know that are wrong in your life, things that you struggle with. Well, one of my weaknesses is filling my time in too much, putting too much in my diary, too much business, and squeezing out things that are really important and should be in there first. I'm bad at that. Recently, knowing that, one of uh, the family here at Burlington said, Heather, you're very busy in your new role as a minister at Burlington. Are you finding time for your personal Bible study and your prayer? Another person said to me, Heather, are you allowing enough time in your diary for your family? How much time have you spent with Nathan recently, she said. They're good questions. But you know, not just anyone could have bowled up to me and asked me those things. They're people that have built a relationship with me, with whom I have a relationship of trust, that they feel able to challenge me. And I really thank God for that, to keep me on my toes. Who is encouraging you and even challenging you in your Christian walk? It's unlikely that people will have this sort of conversation with you unless you have built a relationship with them. A relationship that is built on more than just saying, oh, hi, how are you, on a Sunday morning. It takes more than that. I've got a little story to tell you that illustrates this, I think. We have great neighbours where we live. And when they're away, they ask us to pop in from time to time to clear the post from the porch, to make sure there hasn't been a flood or anything like that, and to just check that everything's okay. And they do it for us. They do the same for us. But you know, this is not a job that just anyone could do. We need to know a bit about each other. For example, when our burglar alarm went off a little while back, Jeff came round to make sure that it was okay to check it out and to make a tour, of, a tour of the house to make sure that it was all secure. Had he not known us and he had seen my teenager's bedroom with stuff from the drawers scattered all over the floor, things from the cupboards all over the floor so you could hardly see it, he could well have thought we'd been ransacked and dialed 999. <laughs> but as he, it is, because he knows us, He wasn't concerned and he realised that it was just the aftermath of my daughter's, my teenage daughter's packing. You see what I mean? We need people who know something about us, who are in relationship with us, to watch our backs and to look out for our interests. I wonder whose back you're watching. Who are you encouraging and challenging? Okay. Number four. I need people, I need people to wait and to weep with me. It says in Corinthians, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one is honoured, every part rejoices. We need to celebrate together too. But there are some things in life that people should never have to face alone. No one should have to spend the first night alone after their partner has died. No one should wait alone after a life-threatening operation for the news. No one should have to go for results of life-threatening tests alone. No one should stand alone at the burial of a loved one. We need a support network in our life because no one knows what's going to happen. Brenda Baker didn't know that she was going to be taken seriously ill and need the support of her church community. 
And I tried to persuade Brenda, who is here this morning, to come and tell you her story. But she's a bit shy, so she's asked me to read it for her. Can you just give us a wave, Brenda, so people know who you are? <laughs> I expect most people do, anyway. Okay, Brenda says, and she's written this for you. As most of you already know, I've recently been in hospital. I went in on the 21st of December and stayed for two weeks, diagnosed with pneumonia, which then gave me an irregular heartbeat. And I had a really pretty rough time. The medical and nursing care was fantastic, and I also met some super people, and we all tried to encourage each other. It's now great to be back at home and also back with my church family. You are all an important part of my recovery. Feeling the love and strength of the continued prayers, the phone calls, 50 cards of well wishes wishes, and visits when I returned home have been so important. Being a part of Burlington makes you realise you are never alone. One only has to ask and someone will be there to help. While in hospital, Sally Sago visited me, and you know, she just sat there and held my hand. I remember the love and concern in her eyes, and her lovely cold hands. She was also a great comfort to my family. Simon's visit on Christmas Eve with best wishes and prayers was a very special time too. Do you know, I really felt the strength of the prayers from all of you, and I know that it helped me through. When I was in hospital, we had to keep visiting to family, and to, to family only. But, you know, I visited you all at night. I would picture Burlington on a Sunday morning. I would start with Brian and Joan and Janet and Joyce down that side, up the middle and back down the other side, trying to remember as many names and faces as I could. I was able to have communion three times and two men on my ward listened and told me they were going to join their wives to church and go to church services with them in the future, which really made me feel good. We all call out to God when we're in trouble and I found myself asking him to give me the strength to cope and thanking him. You know, we can't do without him in our lives. He is our father and our strength and most of all, he's our best friend. We're good sometimes at helping and supporting each other in this church family. And there was another occasion that came to my mind when I was thinking about how we do this. Sarah Laithwaite was a much-loved member of our community here at Burlington. And when she was only 17, she was taken ill and she died. And that was in March 2004. If Robert and Angela were here this morning, they would love to tell you about the support they received at that, that time, but they're not. They're not here. But um, Phil, no, Robert has asked Phil to tell his story. It's always difficult and emotional to lose anyone close to you, especially when one loses someone very much at the centre of our lives, as Sarah was, so suddenly and without any warning or preparation time. Shock and a sense of unreality, followed quickly by very powerful feelings of grief, guilt and not being able to save a daughter, and the overwhelming sense of loss. Having the love and support of close friends and Simon and Claire, and many others from the church who knew Sarah well to help and comfort us, especially during those first weeks and days, 
was a huge blessing. Whilst we didn't feel able to cope with too many helping hands, being left alone with our grief was not good either. Angela and I responded differently. At first, I didn't always feel able to talk about what had happened whilst Angela talked and talked. And it was with our close friends that we did most of that. Facing the wider world was difficult. Meals provided from friends, stocking up in the fridge and helping with funeral arrangements are all done by our church family. A phone call to say, help, please help with refreshments on the day, resulting in a number of our friends providing a meal for our family, guests and close friends in one of their homes. It was easy to ask for help. We share the same faith and Christian love and care for one another. During that time, Angela remembers feeling the safest when amongst the church family. We also needed help with our other two daughters to deal with the impact as best as we could and communicate what has happened to other relatives and friends, which is almost the hardest part. Assistance with this difficult task was also a big help and relief to us. For Jade and Hannah, our daughters, being able to be with and be consoled by their church friends was very important. Also sharing with Claire, our youth minister, who has a good relationship with them and who knew Sarah so well, was invaluable and gave them an opportunity to openly and healthily express their feelings rather than bottling them up. The value and the love provided by individuals in the church as a whole at, at a time that cannot, uh, a time like that cannot have a price put on it. But it is difficult to envisage having to go through such an ordeal without such a network of love and support. Thank you, Phil. And thank you, Robert, for putting that down for us. And he, wanted to, he would have liked to have, t- to have said that to you this morning himself. Such precious memories of the support and the love at that sad time that carried them through in this church family. You know, I'm truly sorry if you're part of this church and you have faced tough times alone. We need to make sure that we cover more people, that we make sure no one falls through the net. And the best way to do that is is to get people to know each other in small units, in small groups, informally and formally. And if you're thinking, well, it's no good me being in a small group because I couldn't possibly support people in difficult times, I wouldn't have a clue what to say, you know, often it's enough just to be there. Um, the year before last, I went to Northern Ireland to the funeral of Yvonne's... Yvonne's not here either. Yvonne Miller's uh, father. I went to, to the funeral. And what struck me most was the culture there is that the way you support the family who is grieving is that you go and you be there. You don't say anything. You just stand with people who are grieving. I remember opening the door to step outside and being while we were going to bring the coffin from the house to take it to the cemetery. Opening the door and being met with a sea of faces, mostly blokes in their best suits, just standing there. Didn't have a clue what to say. They didn't have to say anything. They were just there. And sometimes that's enough, just to be with someone, to be available. So don't let, don't, it's no excuse, don't say, I don't know what to say. Just being there. There's great power in presence. So being part of this community is, of course, supporting each other in times of sadness. And it's also partying together in times of success. 
He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage each other and build each other up. It's a big part, it's an important part of being part of this family. Okay. Number five, I need others to witness with me. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will all men know that you are, that by all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Notice that in these verses in John 13, Jesus didn't say, the world will know you are my disciples by how much you love me, God. Or by how you love, um, how you love, yes, how you love God, but how you love one another. This is a powerful witness. Your love for other people in the family of God is a proof that you are in the family of God. What says most clearly to the world that we love God and he makes a difference in our lives is not our sermons, not our church centre, not our music or our singing, not our growing numbers, but it's the way we love each other. Julie Kite, who's our head of evangelism here, has been thinking a lot about this, has been reading and researching it and and, um, thinking about what makes the most effective evangelism. And she summed it up, I heard her sum it up recently, when she said... Evangelism happens when people who love Jesus love the people around them. Evangelism happens when people who love Jesus love the people around them. Now, Jill Lewis, who's one of our friends here, who's one of our deacons here at Burlington and a good friend of mine, has been in hospital recently. And she tells me that all the loving attention she received from her church friends spoke very clearly of our love for each other and of our faith and the difference it makes in our lives. She had several opportunities to share, to talk about this, as people commented on the number of cards, flowers, visitors she received, way beyond the norm. Our love for each other is a powerful witness to the fact that God changes lives. So, what does this mean for us at Burlington? says there, be devoted to one one another in brotherly love, honour one another above yourselves, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. As we have seen, we need other people to walk with us, to work with us, to watch out for us, to wait and weep with us, and to witness with us. Do you know, often there are between 350 and 400 people here on a Sunday morning. It's fantastic. We're growing all the time, and that's great. God tells us to meet together in corporate worship, and it's really important in our Christian lives to do that. But this is not community. We can't demonstrate the depth development of the depth of relationship and support we've been talking about this morning here. This is a crowd. Please don't misunderstand me. We are, of course, all church family. We're one family, but we can't possibly know everyone well. So, we need to operate in new and different ways. I guess those of you who have been around here for a long time probably have your own networks established here among the church family. And that's great. Let's let's nurture those and develop those old friendships. But new people coming in need to be helped by those of us who have been here longer to develop those networks too. 
The best way to do this is to get together in small groups. And on Tuesday, there were over 150 people up in the halls from small groups. It wasn't everyone that's in small groups, but a lot of them were there to kick off this 40 Days of Purpose campaign, where they'll be meeting every week in small groups to discuss the issues raised. It's not too late for you to join in. See me and I'll find you a group. My contact details are on the sheet. We were not meant to travel this spiritual journey alone. And even if you thought you could, God has work for you to do in the lives of others. You have a responsibility to walk alongside others. We were not meant to walk alone. But sadly, you could come here for years and still be lonely. But that's not the way we want it to be. You can be alone in a crowd, but we don't want that to happen here. It's up to you. In this church family at Burlington, I say, let's make a declaration. Let's make a declaration of interdependence because we do need each other. Father God, we need you and we need each other. Show us how to be family here at Burlington, how to overcome the things between us that prevent us from developing the relationship between us that you know is best for us, that you want for us, that you desire for us to enrich our walk with you. We want to rely on you and, on, and, and, and you have given each other to demonstrate your love and to serve each other on your behalf. Shape us into people that can do that, we pray, who really love each other as you intended however alien that may feel, to some of us at the moment, make it happen here. Father God, teach us how to love each other. Teach us how to walk with each other, to wait with each other, to witness with each other, to be those things to each other that you intended in ways that will enrich our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.